out here. Uh, yes, there's an exciting parking lot going on in the park and a food truck and all that. That is a part of our Father's Day celebration that we're real excited about. Um, that is a, a free lunch. We, we really care just about intentional community here at Soundhouse. And in any way we can just create an opportunity for people to get together uh, and, and develop a sense of community within the church. Um, and what better way to do that with food, right? As Jesus did, sit down, bread and wine, and, 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 uh, and meet people around you. So anyways, we were doing burgers, but all, all good. Um, anyways, but that'll be right after service. There's a photo booth, free TK burger, a uh, little car show, and, and some stuff for the kids. So definitely come be a part of that after. Um, real, real fun time. Um, also, we have a quick announcement is men's breakfast. We have uh, our next men's breakfast coming up July 10th. 8 a.m. We fired up the grill this past Tuesday morning at the men's discipleship group. It works great. Put a couple pounds of bacon and eggs on there, so we're, we're good to go. We're going to be doing our first men's breakfast with uh, our own cooked food there, July 10th, 8 a.m. It's free since we're cooking it ourselves. You know, I, I wouldn't have the courage to uh, charge you for anything I'm making. Um, <laughs> but you can still help us by signing up just so we know about how much food to make. So definitely uh, register for that online or on the app or anything like that. Uh, besides that, uh, if you don't know, we actually went to uh, Mexico yesterday. There's an orphanage down there called Ranch La Hermosa. And, and can I actually have uh, Madeline and Gary come on up? Uh, whenever we go, uh, I always ask someone who went for the first time just to share a little bit about uh, what the experience was like. And so I told them like two songs ago. So they had tons of time to prepare. <laughs> We're expecting something super eloquent. But uh, yeah, could you share just a little bit about like, first time? What was the experience like down there? Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Um, yeah, I mean, this was just such an incredible experience to be a part of, and, you know, this was my first time ever outside of the United States, so, you know, I... Didn't know right. that. <laughs> so, we got your back, though. That's good. Yeah, yeah so I, I know. So, like, all these stories and everything, I didn't really know what to expect, but this was such a safe trip, you know? It was, like, what, 30 minutes on the toll road? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, super safe, and, um, you know, the joy that we brought to the kids and also the joy that they brought to us, which is incredible, you know, like, right when we showed up. Um, all these kids just swarm the cars, you know, just trying to get the toys and like the, the little treats and everything. And like right away, these kids just wanted to play, you know, and like me not even knowing any Spanish, that's all I could do, you know, all I could provide for that. So it was just the entire day of just playing with the kids was just incredible, you know, and just the stories that they went to, through like at four years old, hmm. four years old was just so crazy, you know, so crazy to be a part of. So. It, I mean, we're looking forward to it again. Yeah. We're already ready. I think Very late cool. July is when, like, the next July 31st. Happens, so yes. we're excited for it, and we want to make this scary. something we want to do. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Not only learning more about this organization that was just incredible. Um, they're doing such amazing things up there, and also being able to grow together as a church community and grow closer mm. to the members of this church was something that we were really looking forward to, and. Um, yeah, and then also just these kids, you know, pouring into them and having um, just a little little bit of what God's doing down there, um, just a little taste of that. And we are just, it fired us up to, you know, do this again and keep forming and developing and deepening these relationships with these people there. And that's what I think I'm most excited yeah. about is it's not just a one-time th thing. You know, we're going to keep forming these relationships um, and continue to see what God's up to down there. So. Yeah. Thank we you, really recommend it. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I mean, what else were they going to say? I told them they have to come up here in two songs. So, they, yeah, you have to sell it at that point. But, um, Madeline, that was a great point to bring up is just the connection that you also form within the church is so cool. Um, Nancy and Nathan, I'm not sure if you're in here, but there's a, a, a couple. They, they, they've come to service twice, uh, checked out the church twice. They, they hopped in a car and came with us. And. We were saying of, uh, you know, from our years in youth ministry, it takes 100 Sundays to do what you can do uh, in one, you know, one camping trip, one event, one, you know, when, you, when you're driving together and going through all the experience and, and, and getting some El Pastor tacos on a, a taco cart and all that. So anyways, definitely consider the next trip, July 31st. Uh, we'd love to have you join. Hey, that wasn't, where are you, uh, Gary and Madeline, where are you at? That wasn't bad for like a couple minutes notice. Chad, you know how long it took for me to hold a microphone without like shaking nonstop? Oh, I better watch out for my job. You guys, thank you very much for sharing. Uh, happy Father's Day. Oh, man, uh, dads, uh, thank you. And to our dads who aren't even here 
uh, how much they meant in our lives and how much you mean to your family. And so uh, today's a really uh, special day, uh, not just because I'm a dad, but I think because we get to celebrate and take a moment aside and just uh, and say thank you. Uh, as a parent, we all know that things kind of, uh, we do so much without the uh, affirmation sometimes of our family. Is that true? Sometimes they don't realize it. Um, but there's so much you do that's unseen. There's so much that you pour into your family that has not been calculated or counted. But God sees everything that you do. And I'm thankful to know uh, many of you, if not all of you, as a fellow dad, and how you inspire me to be a better dad, how I can look up to uh, you and say, uh, wow, I, I want to learn to be more like that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And so if we could, could we just say, dads, thank you for everything you do. <clears throat> Father's Day is kind of an interesting day because... As, we, as you know, it's usually the lowest church attendance uh, in the United States, and, uh, but I think also Father's Day is, is interesting because how we just think differently about Mother's Day and Father's Day, being so close together, we get to see a little bit of the comparison, you know what I mean? I was Google searching top Mother's Day gifts, and this is what Google recommended for top Mother's Day gifts, right? Uh, can you throw that up there? Yeah. And... That's really nice, really pretty. By the way, that's one of the top 10 recommended, you know, arrangements. This is what was recommended to me for Father's Day, the uh, top recommendation. It's not a dad bod. It's a father figure koozie. <laughs> so clearly, Father's Day is in its own category. And <laughs> I am going to use that, though. Like, uh, it's a father figure. And... Uh, I was looking through so many uh, interesting things. I came across something. I, it's like a, you ever like research and you just come across a wormhole and then you're stuck in there for a while? You ever do that? I do this all the time. And I came across this website from this, uh, somebody in Australia put it up and it was all about, I, I just couldn't stop. I couldn't look away. I, it was extensive. It was a ton of research. It was a ton of work. Uh, I don't know why they did it, but it was all about, um, they called it Dad Jokes University, and it was all about how to learn to tell dad jokes, and I was like, I got to get out on this, right? Ron, you're the number one dad joke guy I know, right? <laughs> I hear them a lot, and I, and I like them, and uh, one of the t two parts of the website, two pages I want to read to you. One was, uh, uh, it, was in it was intense, uh, one web part of the webpage was recognize when a dad joke is told. And Ron, you'll, Donna, you'll know. Okay. Dad jokes can use, that's what they say, dad jokes can usually be identified by watching how the joke is received. Uh, the other partner, usually, but not only, the mom in the family will roll her eyes. Is this correct? Okay. <laughs> other dads are laughing. I usually laugh, Ron. And the lack of genuine laughter by everyone else. That's when you know. <laughs> Other signs include the joke is unfunny. And the dad usually smirks. And then his eyes twinkle while awaiting a laugh. Right? Is this accurate? He may even fake laugh himself after a very short pause. How accurate is this, Donna? Okay. Um, some examples of dad jokes, Ron, I'm going to give you some material here, uh, is uh, I'm reading a book on anti-gravity. It's impossible to put down. <laughs> Why? How do you make a tissue dance? Wow, you've heard this dad joke. <laughs> How about this one? What do you call a fake noodles? Impostas. Mm. And then why do scarecrows get promoted? You don't know this one. Oh, yeah. He's outstanding in his field. You're right. He's, wow. That's deep into the archives, whoever heard that one. The interesting thing is they, they have them all on there. If any dad wants that website information, I'll give it to you, uh, in, uh, to the detriment of everyone around you. But uh, at the end, they have like this really cool little assessment of once you've gone through the dad joke university, then you can take an assessment and then you can do practice jokes. So it'll be like lining up the punchline 
<laughs> the punch, they put so much work into this. The punchline with the joke, and so you can really get good, and, and, uh, and how to practice all of the uh, when to pause. They have all these graphs and scales on, on like how many times you repeat the joke three times in one setting, Ron, and then six is too many, and they, it, it's unreal. Tons of research. That is the dad joke website. You know, and the thing is, is dad's like, yes, on Father's Day, it's, I, I always feel like mom's just like sweet and loving. Dad's just like, you're open for absolute harassment from your family. And I like that. I think dad's like that. But I will tell you this, dads are vital to families. We see this uh, uh, like work out in research. We see this in stats and studies. Fathers, if you ever feel like you, you, you may not uh, contribute the, as much as you'd like, you just must know that being present in your family's life is all they really need. I think about my dad, and I was telling my mom this on the way. Now, I think many of you know my dad passed in uh, uh, several years ago, uh, and one of the things that I was telling my mom in, is that uh, in reflection of the way my dad conducted himself in our house. Now, he was not perfect, but I will say that he was an incredible role model for, uh, for equality in the home with my mom. They were partners, and uh, I never heard my dad say anything like derogatory towards women. I never heard him uh, make a joke that was inappropriate. I, I just don't remember that ever. And it, it was interesting because when I go to other people's houses and I would hear some of this like talk, I was like blown away, like, who, you talk, who talks like this? And, uh, and when it came to class, uh, judgment, uh, race, anything, my dad just knew no difference and um, saw potential in everybody. And so I was telling my mom what a, uh, a great example he was for me as a young man. Uh, and it feels like I just absorbed that from him, and I'm grateful for that. And dads, whether you know it or not, probably caught more than taught, you are displaying a positive, powerful example to your young children. And if you have young boys, they're watching you and, and seeing you. And so they will absorb it. They'll complain about you for all the things they don't like or think they don't like, but they're taking in who you are. And so I, I thought this was interesting. 72 million, there are 72 million fathers in the United States right now. 50%, now this is a recent poll by Pew, 50% of dads say being a father is essential to their identity. I love that. That has dramatically increased over the years. 61% of dads, now you may not like this, on social media use it to become better fathers, they say. And so they're watching what other dads do. They're taking ideas. They're learning. And so they're not just stalking you or bothering you or posting annoying stuff that you'd want to defriend them. Or 71% uh, of dads use social media to keep up with their families. It's the primary use of it. And, and this is interesting. Dads now spend three times more time with their kids than in the 19. 60s, and then from the 1980s, two times as more uh, time with their kids. So I think I see uh, just fathers just growing and learning just even as dads themselves. I would say this, the top Father's Day gifts, I don't know if they fit in this category, but if you need a suggestion, top Father's Day gifts are tools, number one. That's always good. Tools are very easy. Dads are so easy. Appliances, no big deal. Get them an appliance. This one I thought was a little offensive, personal care. I don't know what could be said by personal care, but if you've ever gotten that, you can take it both ways. But this is the biggest gift all dads pulled said that they could get from their kids is a phone call, and specifically not a text. A phone call would be the most important gift that they could get from their kids on Father's Day. And so, Dad, you just have to know that, like, uh, you are you matter you you are valuable you should continue to try to grow and like many many men have and as positive examples as we have around us um, why we're a generational church is to help in these areas for young dads who are learning how to parent learning how to be husbands to look to others and be inspired and grow and ask questions but you know what the, the thing is is that no matter what and how wise you think you are in your child's eyes, you're dumb. We know this, right? <laughs> you're outdated. 
you, you don't understand, right? In, in their mind, they think this, right? And they, they don't realize that you're correct about everything, right? They don't know this about you. I, I, I was so touched by this quote, and maybe it resonates with you. Maybe you can be encouraged today or discouraged. Charles Wadsworth, a famous old preacher, uh, he said this, By the time a man realizes that maybe his father was right, he usually has a son who thinks he's wrong. And I thought, that is the truth. So take heart, dads. Your son will suffer one day as you have suffered. <laughs> To all fathers, thank you very much, uh, and I know everyone here with you is celebrating you, and we want to do that today, so let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. To be able to celebrate Father's Day, to be able to go out in community and, and enjoy food together, um, God, for, really for the first time since a year and a half ago, God, we want to celebrate that, and God, that we get to break bread together as a community, your community, and we get to uh, honor and celebrate our fathers and remember our fathers maybe who aren't here with us anymore or live across the country, God, that we, um, they are here with us in our hearts and what they've deposited in our heart. And so, God, we thank you for that and just ask that as we read your word today that we are inspired by this story of David, that no matter what difficulty we may experience in life, no matter what trial, no matter what injustice we feel is happening that, God, that you are with us the entirety of the journey, and you will never leave us, and you will never forsake us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in this series called The Life of David, and if you uh, have missed any of it, you don't, don't feel like you're going to be left off or just, you know, like out of the loop here. I would say the very best thing you could do is go back to our podcast or our, on our YouTube channel and watch or listen to the sermon especially the first one because it kind of lays the whole groundwork for why David even became David the King David. Uh, Israel didn't need a king, but it wanted a king. And it, it asked for a king, and God gave them a king of the type of people that they were. They wanted, why they, why they wanted a king to rule, God gave them that type of person. And, it's, and Saul, who became king, it's no different than sometimes I think when we elect some uh, like a politician in our democracy today. We hear a lot of things, we hope for a lot of things, but then sometimes things just don't turn out. And that has played out over all history in every way. And so I just think that Saul is just this embodiment of the people's heart, which he's not consulting God. He's not trusting God. He is uh, protecting himself in thinking of himself. It grows to a, a, a very bitter end for him and his entire family. It, it, it's a mark on the uh, kingship of Israel. It's an example and a sad example of what it looks like to, to trust more in the flesh and to want for ourselves more than what God wants. But then God raised up David, his choice, for the people's desire for a king. And it, it takes a radical difference. This series on David, it's, we're going to explore all the prominent moments of David's life that we can practically learn from. Like last week, we're looking at what, what was David in the midst of this journey to Goliath, right? And today, we're going to look at something very different. We're going to look at, ultimately, what does David look like in the midst of extreme difficulty, extreme injustice, and who is he in the midst of that? And more importantly, we'll look at who God is in the midst of all of that. But if you're going to think about David, this series, the, 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 the phrase that I would say about David, if you haven't heard this, is that David lived a life of obedience. There was nothing magical about David. There was nothing special about David. He was actually quite of the least of these type of person. But that always seems to be God's way the counted out, the overlooked, and then ultimately God says, in a way, look at who I am with what the world discounts. And so David is this figure, but it was all through his obedience to God is what continued his path and why he became the greatest king of Israel and why the line of Christ comes through David in the kingship and why God continued to use David 
all throughout his ups and downs uh, to be a man after his own heart. A thousand, this is our series passage, a thousand years after David is long gone. Paul is giving a sermon, and he says these words. And it, you should pay attention when you read the Bible of how ancient figures, historical figures, are mentioned by the apostles. And, and maybe even what order they're listed or how they're listed. Paul gives an attribute to David that reveals the entirety of his story. And he says this when he's preaching. And when he had uh, removed him, meaning God removed Saul, he raised up David from the king, uh, for the, their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. This is what made David great. His obedience. He was no giant slayer in his own might. And he was no great leader in his own might. He didn't defeat thousands in his own might. He was obedient. And so sometimes we can discount ourselves as believers. Like we don't have these big, huge experiences. Or we, we, we don't feel like we have the status within the Christian community that we would like to have. Or we're not perfect and we have flaws and issues. And so maybe God can't use me the way he uses others. Maybe that's why. And, and this is just a lie to yourself. Look at the story of David. He was just somebody who was obedient. It's one yes to the next yes. That's really all his story is. And so David today, he's in the face of a bitter leader who sees an emerging young person coming up. We see this in the corporate world all the time. We could see it even in friend groups as adults, which is really weird. It feels sometimes high school, where someone is being favored more than the established group, and then the established leader then starts to say bad things about the new and upcoming everyone likes person, right? It's, it's just nature in a way that we have to fight. In a corporate world, it happens the same. A young and up-and-coming person, and they face opposition from those who are in charge and in power. But, you know, God is bigger than all the opposing forces every time, all the time. And we're going to read about, <laughs> on Father's Day, it's really weird, Chad, we didn't <clears throat> really lay this out for to be Father's Day, but we actually have the very worst example of a father and a father-in-law of all time. So if you think you're a bad dad, let's just wait to the end of the sermon. And if you think your father-in-law is terrible... Just wait to the end of the message and you can maybe go back with different eyes. I titled this message, The Waymaker. And this story, again, David's story is, is, is David's the character, but God is the central theme and the central character. His, his character, who God is with this person, David. And so God, in this part of the section of the story, is a waymaker. That's kind of a cool way to think about God is he is a waymaker. How many times, who has ever had a moment in your life where you're like, I truly experienced the waymaker. He did things in spite of opposition, and it actually turned out to be to my favor. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced that, right? He is a way maker. He never changes. He is the same today and forever. The, the, the really main focus that you should be thinking about as a way maker is that you know, trusting God in the most difficult places. It's so easy to trust God when things are good. We say things like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm very blessed. I'm, very, I'm doing very, very well. Oh, God's just so blessed me. But what about when it's tough? How do you speak then? What are your thoughts? You may be able to say the right words, but maybe internally you don't feel like you resonate with those words. Where is God? Who is God in difficult places in our life? And we have all experienced difficulty. I know it, right? I know most of you in here. I know your stories mostly. And I would say that I've heard difficulty in all of your stories. And then you've shared with me who God was in the midst of the story and now post-story. I've had these myself. Uh, this whole section we're going to look at, I will not read this. I'm going to summarize these three chapters for you so we, we don't need to go through them. But in 1 uh, Samuel 18 through 20, if you, if you have your notes, you can go on our app and get them as well. All of my notes are on here. But we're going to look at just this story. And there are some things we're going to cherry pick out of the story that might inspire us when we are in difficulty and how David handled difficulty 
Sometimes maybe in reflection to how we have handled difficulty. So I'll just catch you right up. David just defeated Goliath. We start right into chapter 18. He defeated Goliath with a rock. (laughs) It's like throwing a a stick at a tank. It's impossible. This is an impossibility. And yet David does it under God's power. And it shows Israel that no matter what comes your way, one person empowered by me can defeat an entire army. And put fear and chaos in that army because of one little boy with a rock. That's the power of God in our difficulty. And I'll just say this, Saul, at this moment, he's conflicted because he's like super happy because it helps his country that he's king over. They just didn't get taken over by an army that would crush them. But yet at the same time, he's very afraid. Because he sees this up-and-coming star on a meteoric, meteor, meteoric rise, yes. And he is on his way. And so he's happy, yet fearful. And we may have experienced this before. You got somebody in your company, and you're happy because they make the business better, but you're a little nervous because you're like, wait, could they take my job one day? You ever had that thought? Maybe not. And because David is the new king, it's already been pronounced to Saul that God will no longer be with him. And he's going to be with someone else. And he's probably putting some pieces together here. And in an act of absolute humility, Jonathan, I'll read this passage in a minute. Jonathan, Saul's son, heir to the throne. If you want to look at somebody with character and humility, it's Jonathan. He then tells David, listen, I am an advocate for you. Even though my dad is afraid of you. And you are essentially going to take my seat. I will be your advocate. I will cheer you on. He recognizes who God's chosen son is. I have one point and one point only with a couple thoughts in it is this is we'll have to talk about this in the section is what does it look like when God is for you? This is all about what it looks like when God is for you. And maybe you'll resonate a little bit with some of this. Maybe you'll be able to put some pieces together in your life where you go, oh, that's where God was for me because it didn't make any sense, but the outcome was God being for me. But I'll say this, and the first thing is difficulties are always on the horizon, but God is with you. Difficulties are always on the horizon. If you think you overcame one and you think another one's not coming, you're sadly mistaken. Is this not true in life? Right? Who, 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 is my, uh, I, I, who, who, who is one of my most senior people here in the church? How about that? You got to raise your hand. I got to raise your hand. Okay, I'm going to say Lola, right? Uh, I'm not saying that you are, but I'm saying that I'm looking at you right now. So that's just who I'm going to talk to. Would you say that if you look back on your life, you have seen when you thought one difficulty was over, another one arose, right? Right? And have you experienced this multiple times throughout your life? Yes. And you have those stories of a but God on the other end of some of those difficulties. Yeah. I think that's why you're here today as a model and example of someone of faith who has persisted in their faith and continues to persist. And you know who God, you know who God is for who he is. I, I definitely can see that in you. I think that, Lola, I don't mean you're the oldest person here. I'm just saying that I, I just like talking to you. And so... All throughout scripture, you'll hear God say this. You'll hear him say, don't worry. I'm here with you. Don't be afraid. I'm here with you. 300 times in the Bible, maybe I think it's like 365, which is a really interesting number. uh, God says, fear not, right? For I'm with you. God is constantly reminding his people all throughout the journey of scripture, don't worry, I'm with you. You're going to worry, I know it's coming, don't worry, I'm with you. Even Jesus, some of his parting words were like, oh, don't, listen, I'll be with you always. And not only that, I'm going to send the advocate, the spirit, to be with you in everything. This, This is how God wants to communicate to his people. And this is how he wants to communicate to you and I. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'll always be with you. And if you're going to look at this section of Scripture in 1 Samuel, I think Paul summarizes David's resolve, his, his uh, mental fortitude, and how he believes about God in Romans 8.30. He says this, And having 
chose them, meaning God's chosen us. This is about us. He called them to him. And he has, uh, having given them, he gave them right standing with himself. There's a lot of generosity and sight on you from God. And he says, and he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things? Now he's speaking to a people who are in difficulty. They know troubles. And he's saying, what should we say in the middle of all of our difficulties when a God of the universe knows you? He's made you right standing, and he's given you his glory. What should we say? And this is what he says. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? This will summarize what we're going to read about David. If God's for you, who can be against you? The second thing about this when God is for you thought is this, is that God brings an advocate into your life, advocates to support you in hard times. The worst thing we can do, and I do this, I don't know about you, but when I go through difficulty, I want to isolate. Is anybody like that? Right? I want to isolate. I want to hide. Because I think it's hard for me to, to, to expose weakness. I'll, I'll be honest and vulnerable with you. It, because I think it's difficult for us to just go, I'm struggling. But God is raising up advocates all around us. And the most important thing we can do as fellow believers in community is to accept them in. They will help you in a way that you never thought they could ever help. And God does this right away. As soon as David is celebrating and everyone's celebrating for killing Goliath, Saul is looking at him like, okay, we have a problem. And God raises up Jonathan right away. And it says this in 18.1, as, as, as soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, meaning this is that they became connected. There was no undoing this bond. That somehow, supernaturally, for whatever reason, God has knit his soul with David. This is the future heir, the most influential person in the kingdom besides Saul, and he's beloved by the people, and God raises him up, knowing that David is his potential threat, right? And Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his house, which is customary of Saul to do. He would take anyone who could advance his kingdom and take them from their home, and they never let him go home almost like a, a bit of slavery in a way, even though it wasn't fully that way for David. And so David's in a hard situation, but he has an advocate on the inside God has raised up for him. Jonathan then made a covenant with David, meaning that the only way to break it would be by death. And he says, because he loved David as his own soul, Jonathan stripped himself of his robes. Now, you got to hear what's happening here. He gives David his royal robe, heir to the throne robe. And he gave it to David and he gave it him his royal armor and even the sword and his bow and his belt. And they had very few weapons in Israel until they defeated the Philistines. And it was good. It was, and this was good in the sight of all, sorry, where am I at? Here we go. I missed it. And, uh, right here. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul sent him over the men of war. Now, we can read this as in like, oh, David's getting promoted. This is not promotion. David's putting him out in the forefronts of war, or Saul is. Saul already knows this guy's a problem. And at the same time, God, the advocate, the way maker, is bringing success to David that Saul could never have through his spirit, raises up his most valuable advocate in the kingdom and David is having success even when Saul is ultimately trying to kill him. And so then at this, uh, and this was good, in all the sight of the people, and all the sight of Saul's servants. This is very bad for Saul. He's becoming very unpopular. And as the British say when they're dating, if they all of a sudden stop liking someone, they have the ick. And everybody's getting the ick for Paul or Saul, right? David is on the rise. Saul is on the decrease. Everything that's thrown his way for evil is turning for good. David, and then ultimately he's taken from his family from Saul, right, or to, to Saul, and uh, to a home where 
It's, it's like the little orphan Annie story, right? Where who's the lady who has her in the orphanage? What? Miss, Miss Hannigan, right? It, it, it's, they're li- he's living there, but he's despised, right? This is a dangerous home life situation for David. And it's all, I said this, he wants, he wants David to fail so badly but everything seems to backfire. This is so much like the story of Joseph in uh, Genesis 37. Now look at this, this next slide here. This is where Joseph starts in Genesis 37. This is Joseph's view. And through God's hand, this is Joseph's view 13 years later and a few chapters later. Everything that was used for evil in a way God uses for good, for his purpose. And it's amazing, because some of us might be in this view right now. But you're, you're serving the God of the universe, the God who doesn't change, the God who is the same for David, then the God who is the same for Joseph, and all throughout Scripture, and he lives in you. And so your view may be the pit view, but over time, it didn't happen overnight for Joseph. But in 13 short years, he became second in charge of the most powerful and maybe one of the most of all of history because he was a way maker. And so then we go on in, in, in the story here that all the cities began to praise David. And Saul is in this weird, crazy train cycle because at one moment, Saul needs David because Saul is so angry at David and bitter that he needs David to play this music because he's bothered by this spirit, this evil spirit in a way. So he needs David, but he hates David, and the hate he has for David makes him need David more. I'm just like, this is awful for Saul. And then he snaps and eventually tries to kill him. David won Saul's daughter uh, by killing Goliath, but Saul takes that offer back and then marries his daughter who actually does love David, which was a good thing because she saved David's life later. He marries somebody who actually loves him. And when Saul is plotting to kill David, he says, hey, David, why don't you bring me a, uh, a, what do they call it? I think it's like a pay the bride price. I put this map up here. These are countries that still do uh, pay the bride, pay for the bride. And they're the orange ones particularly. And that still happens. It's a practice today where you bring money and then it's the price for the bride. And Saul's price was this. And this is kind of gross. He tells David, go get me a hundred of my enemies, the Philistines, foreskins. If you don't know what that is, I can't help you. But it's gross. I can't even picture David doing this, but he does it. And he brings back 200. And everyone's like, wow. Like everything Saul tries to do, he's trying to kill David, but yet God advances him. And I think at the end of the day, what it meant for what, what, what's meant for evil, God does turn for good in his glory. Have you ever experienced that? Very short, and I won't expose much of this story, but in Rogers, we, we had this very oppositional person at the church uh, uh, who lived in the community, and it was consistently oppositional. It caused a lot of stress, did it not, Chad, right? There were so many times Chad would call me like, we need to buy a building, I'm tired of this, and this, it just was wearing on us. But everything, and I wouldn't say he was meant for evil, I think it was just, he was unhappy about some stuff, but everything that he did, it was so funny, we gained we gained it. It just turned out we gained favor in the district. We, ga- we got parking. We weren't allowed to ever have parking. Uh, they let us have a storage container on site, which was not allowed at all and shocked people. It was the more he pushed, the more God opened doors for us. It, it's how he works. First Samuel 18, 12, when you think about everything meant for evil, God turns for good. Is Saul was afraid because David, uh, afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but it, uh, but had departed from Saul. Now listen to this. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of thousands. This is to put him very much in the forefront of all the battles. And he went out and he came in before the people. And David had success in all of his undertakings for his, uh, uh, um, all of his successes. And her takings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood fearfully in awe of him. And but all of Israel and Judah loved David. This was very big for his future. And he went out and came in before them. This is like when Peter and Paul were put in prison, right? Look at this right here. 
if you remember these stories, in Acts chapter 12, Peter is put into prison. And then he is let out by this angel. And then Herod comes and says, who let him out? Why did, why, why did they get away? And then he killed all of the guards. That very thing led to, ultimately, the death of Herod, who was a cruel ruler and suppressed the gospel. And the gospel flourished once Herod was gone. And that was a revolt from the people against Herod. And the other one here in, in Acts chapter 16, Saul and si Paul and Silas are let out of prison by an earthquake, but they stay because they don't want the guard to get killed. They've seen this happen. And they lead the guard to the Lord. And what does the guard become? The guard becomes one of the founding members of the church of Philippi. What, it, what is meant for evil, what is meant for harm, God turns it to his favor. Going back to the story, Saul gathers his staff to plan to kill David, and Jonathan overhears, and he confronts his dad, and he reminds him, don't you remember this guy killed a giant and saved our lives? And Saul backs off for a minute. But then he just can't handle it anymore. He's so enraged with bitterness and fearfully predicted. This is how the world thinks outside of God's perspective sometimes. And he won, at the end of the day, his daughter's hand with the foreskins. And then Saul's trying to kill him, and David's pretending to sleep. It's an interesting story because this story, actually, his wife pulls a Ferris Bueller. Do you remember this? It's a, it's a Ferris Bueller moment. He's pretending to be sick, and he's like, oh, he's sick, you can't come in, and eventually they storm in, she lets him out the back window, and she totally Ferris Bueller's him, and then David escapes, he's got an advocate on the inside to save his life, and now it's Saul's daughter, now it's Saul's son, and God raised these people up around David, but here we go, we'll speed the story up and finish, is that Saul then ultimately chases David out of the city. He goes to Samuel's house, and he hides in his house. Samuel's the, king, uh, the, the, the prophet who anointed him. He's the kingmaker. And Saul sell, sends his, basically his FBI agents to go get David. They find out he's there. And they go, and one wave after another, they fall on the ground, and they begin to prophesy, meaning that they come with one order, and then God gives them a prophetic vision, probably of David being king, and another one, and it happens, and another one. And finally, when Saul has had enough, he's like, I'm going to take care of this myself. He goes there, and then at the end of that, when Susie approaches, he strips naked. This is humiliating for a king and is paralyzed on the ground face down in submission to God right before Samuel for 24 hours. And David escapes. It's so interesting when God's hand is upon someone and what their task is. If they're obedient, God will move things around what seem impossible. Saul is fighting an impossible battle. And I will say this, even when Saul invites David back to his house and he wants to have dinner, he's like, hey, we're cool, David. Don't worry about the naked thing. We're good. It was fine. It was fine. Nobody saw. It wasn't posted. And so, like, you know, there's, there's these, this moment and he's trying to trick David. And then Saul is like, where's David's seat? And it's interesting if you read the passage, it's the seat against the wall because that's where Saul was throwing his spears at David. And David's not there, but Jonathan is. And Jonathan says, listen, David's not coming. Saul erupts and says he's ultimately going to kill David. And Jonathan defends him and lays his life on the line. And then his dad throws a spear at him to try to kill him. So listen, if you have not killed your child yet, you're a good dad, right? right? If you have not tried to kill your son-in-law yet, maybe that's happened. Maybe they deserved it. I don't know. But, you know... You're, you're a good father-in-law or you have a good father-in-law. Saul has lost the plot with bitterness and anger, and it's a good story to us. But I think that, that no doubt we think I can relate to David's story because when we've called into our faith to trust in something bigger than ourselves, David had to have asked, why did you anoint me, God? I don't want to live this life on the run. It's impossible. This guy has a kingdom against me. How can I fight this? Why, God, have you even brought me into this? I imagine he had thought that many, many, many times, but David didn't probably maybe realize that all around him, God was orchestrating advocates for him, friends, 
All around him, God was you know, turning aside the, the, the arrows of the enemy for David. All around. That's how God protects his people. That's what he thinks of his people. And I'll read this and end this uh, uh, sermon with this uh, last, this Psalm 56. I believe that this is a huge insight into David's thinking when he faces difficulty. This is such an important psalm if you're going through difficulty of the mindset of David, who is going through a lot. And this is what he says. And this gives us such thought into his idea, into his mindset. Verse 1, O God, have mercy on me, for the people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I am constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. Now, that's fair. Have you ever complained to God? Have, have you ever? It's real. Why, God? Like, he's in this moment. God, have mercy on me. What'd you call me into? This is his answer, though. Verse 3. But when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust God. So why should I be afraid? What more can mortals do to me? This isn't an arrogant statement. This is a perspective statement. When we're facing our trial, our difficulty, the pit that I had up there, this is David's response to his fear. What more can anyone do in light of you, God? This is one man against a kingdom. This is crazy and, and completely treated unjustly. His understanding of God's heart for his children is very clear. This is a very intimate statement he's going to make in this psalm. But it also is encouraging to us to see God as our father. He said, he keeps track of all of my sorrows. He has collected all of, uh, uh, all of my tears in your bottle. And you have recorded each one in your book. God has not forgotten about you. He has not, you know, just gone on to something more important. He keeps track. He knows. He is in your pain with you. And I love his optimism to finish out this psalm. I will fulfill my vow to you. This is when he's in difficulty. He's making the statement. I will fulfill my vow to you, O God, and will offer a sacrifice of thanks for help, even before he received it. Thanks in the middle of his difficulty. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. And so now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. This is a really good framework for when we're in the pit. And at the other end, we'll experience what Joseph experienced. It might take some time, but this was his mindset of obedience. God, I'm going to trust you. And sometimes we have to have that inward dialogue, like David's having in Psalm 56. But it, at the end of the day, he knew who to rely on. And it wasn't his fear. It was God's promise. So if you guys could, could you bow your heads? You know, we have a Father in heaven who loves us. So much so, he gave uh, the Holy Spirit as an advocate, a friend in your life. Uh, who knows you intimately, who, who is knit with your spirit, who is for you and not against you. And, and this love that God has is so much love that it, he could march across all the way to the crucifixion by being shamed and mocked because he is so for you. There's nothing God won't do for you. There's nothing God won't uh, uh, be on your behalf for. I think we just have to let go sometimes and, and honestly let God just just, just uh, lead the way. And David knew to do this in his obedience. And we had a God that ultimately raised us from the dead because we couldn't do it. That's the greatest glory of God is when you tell your story and testimony, it's only because of God. I asked my mom this morning, why was dad this way for me? As an example, she said, you should have met him before he was a Christian. He wasn't any of those things you just said. It was because of his faith. 
that drove him. He had a terrible examples in his life that could have led him the other way. And all the areas you're, you're, you're speaking so positively about, but it was his faith in Christ that led him that way. That's glory to God. Your story is the story of honoring God, the way maker. And I'll say this is that ultimately Jesus tells the best example of who God is, is he's a father with arms open wide, even if you've gone astray, who meets you down the street running after you and says, my son, my daughter has returned. This is the God we serve. This is the God who is the God of David and the God of Joseph, the God of Moses, the God who walked this earth and the God who the apostles died for. This is, this is who is your father. And so it's Father's Day, I know, and I know in the Trinity, God is represented as the father, which is beyond our ability to understand, but we must also say thank you to the greatest father that we've ever known who has changed our life and probably changed our father's lives or your life as a father and so let's pray god we love you we thank you god we thank you that david led this example of obedience for us as a, as a normal simple counted out person god that you did not overlook and god as david was going through all these difficulties that we just listed out in this story which is, all of us would feel like we would break under that he never let go of who you are, God. And God, no matter what comes our way, in time, we will see that you turn it for good. Over and over and over, your character doesn't change. Our circumstances do, but you will never. And so God, I ask that you be with anyone in here who looks out from a pit now in their life, God, and that they can be, take hope in Joseph's story that one day, They'll be looking at a different angle on life and one that you've given them and they can only give glory to you on. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand with me in this last song of worship?